Welcome into another edition of the Blue Ribbon SEC Basketball Podcast, along with Blue Ribbon's Chris Dorch. I'm Kevin Ingram. We are happy to have you with us. We'll kick around some topics relating to Southeastern Conference hoops over the next few minutes. Chris, what's going on? I'm doing well, sir. How are you? I am good. We asked for an update on the book. Is Are there new developments to report? There are, um, supposedly, and, and this is, uh, we're taping this on October 26th, which is a Monday. We're supposed to have the books in hand by Friday. And I'm told that our dropship orders, uh, which is to say multiple orders, large orders, are being shipped right from the printer in Cincinnati. Wow. And they'll all be out by Wednesday. So, so uh, yeah, well, it's out. It's, it's, it's coming. So we hear of MTEs. Is that like an MBO, a multiple book order? That's exactly right. I like that. MBO. Uh, any any order of uh, what we say, like three or more, and we've got some that are, you know, there's a bookstore in Las Vegas that orders over 200. Uh, we, we have them drop shipped at the printer. It just saves us from having to deal with so many on our end, and sure. it also gets those big orders to our to our customers uh, a lot faster. Well, Chris, the story uh, for basketball, we're going to preview a couple teams a little bit later uh, in this podcast. We like to do that each time we do this uh, SEC basketball podcast every other week. Uh, today we'll preview Missouri and Texas A&M. We'll get to them shortly. The story continues to be the schedule for college basketball. We got news today that the uh, ESPN events that were supposed to go on at Disney and Orlando have been canceled. So now what? Uh, there's talk of other multi-team events in other places, you know, possibly being landing spots for those teams that were supposed to play in Orlando. And that includes a few SEC teams, Auburn, Missouri, Tennessee, and Kentucky, which was part of the uh, Champions Classic that was supposed to be played there. Um, all are, are uh, affected by this. But there's talk of possibly playing conference only, which really limits the uh, the data points as far as non-conference play for the NCAA committee. So a lot of different factors in play. But, man, that was big news that those uh, events in Orlando got canceled. Yeah, really disappointing. Uh, and I guess it was ESPN that ultimately pulled the trigger. And uh-huh. you wonder what they're going to televise. Uh, but I, I've talked to a couple of conference commissioners, and I think a lot of those teams or a lot of those events will be reconstituted uh, in other places, maybe not with the same eight-team fields or whatever they were. Champions Classic, of course, always has four. and uh, Jimmy V, four. Uh, Tennessee, for example, is is one that they had they were going to play Gonzaga in the Jimmy V, and of course that's always in the Garden, and they moved it to Orlando, and now I don't know where they're going to move it to. I'm told that Asheville, North Carolina, is a city that's equipped uh, to do more than it has. Uh, it's already taking on the Maui Classic, right? And from what I understand, Stanford, which is one of those teams, is going to play individual games while it's there. So the Grove Park Inn uh, has uh, committed a, a floor to basketball teams, and apparently they've got a deal with a medical center or hospital to provide testing. And that's the whole issue is sure. the amount of testing. And I think some power conference teams are able to test more than others. And it's getting, it's, it's going to be really expensive. One contact that I talked to today said that what hasn't been discussed is testing your officials. Huh. And, you know, even to do that as little as three times 
a week uh, is very is going to be very costly. So, yeah, it's it's going to be challenging. I I hope we don't just go to conference seasons only. It'll be challenging, but and and you got to you got to feel for the coaches that that put together their schedules three months ago, sure. had to tear them apart, you know, a, a few weeks ago. And now if you were in some of those ESPN sponsored MTEs, you're going to have to start all over again. Yeah. A lot of it was about the, uh, the COVID protocols, you know, what to do with players who had, who had had COVID. And then after a 90 day period, you go back and test them again. What are the rules there? Uh, what if somebody gets it and, you know, you talk about shutting people down for a 14-day period. There are a lot of different factors in play, and uh, ultimately ESPN decided just to uh, pull the plug on the whole thing. We also got word of the SEC Big 12 Challenge uh, coming up on Saturday, January 30th. Matchups include Auburn at Baylor, Iowa State at Mississippi State, Kansas at Tennessee, Texas A&M at Kansas State, Alabama at Oklahoma, Arkansas at Oklahoma State, TCU at Missouri, Texas at Kentucky, Texas Tech at LSU, and uh, Florida plays at West Virginia. You have four SEC teams that will not be part of it, including uh, Vanderbilt, South Carolina, Georgia, and Ole Miss. So that will be smack in the middle of conference play, but it's always a fun weekend when you see those uh, those matchups. I know uh, Big Ten and ACC do the same sort of thing. Yeah, I hope I hope this gets to be played. There's a couple of intriguing matchups to me. Uh, the first one, alphabetically, Auburn at Baylor. Baylor's obviously, we ranked them number three in, the, in our preseason poll in the country. Auburn's not going to be quite as talented as they were the last couple of years, but they're, they're going to be a handful still. Uh, another game, obviously Kansas at Tennessee. If that's, uh, I think that's a good one. They reprise their matchup. Yeah. They, they have some history in that one, don't they? They do. I, I mean, uh, remember the year that Tennessee had had to suspend a bunch of guys and they, they trotted out of what was basically an intramural team and, Somehow managed to beat Kansas, which, uh, which was ranked uh, incredible. I'm looking forward to Alabama at Oklahoma. Of course, you know that uh, Blue Ribbon is high on Alabama and, and Coach Nate Oates, and, and I think that'll be a, a good game, a good test. Uh, another road game that I, that I think would would be a challenge, but but yet an, an intriguing matchup. Arkansas at Oklahoma State, and uh, Texas is a ranked team. We'll play at Kentucky and. Texas Tech at LSU, I think that'll be a good battle. LSU obviously uh, was ranked by a lot of teams, not by us, uh, just barely missed. And Texas Tech under Chris Beard has, has been uh, – Chris Beard's job at Texas Tech has, has been one of the great coaching jobs in, in the sure. last quarter century, I think. No doubt about it, yeah. He's done a great job and, and made them into a national contender, almost won the championship a, a couple of years ago in that – Classic final against Virginia. Uh, no other news items on, on scheduling, and we'll move forward. Uh, more than 30 teams are expected to play in the bubble at Mohegan Sun, uh, the resort up in Connecticut, uh, casino uh, place up there. Florida and Vanderbilt are among the teams going there. They're calling it Bubbleville, and it'll be between uh, November 25th and December 5th, so uh, keep that in mind. And also, uh, Matt Norlander of CBSSports.com reported that UConn had canceled its game uh, scheduled at Florida for December 6th. So all sorts of uh, scheduling information going on, including that uh, SEC Big 12 challenge. Uh, big news for Kentucky, uh, got Olivier Saar and Jacob Toppin, their two big transfers, uh, ruled eligible to play. Saar from Wake Forest, uh, Toppin from Rhode Island. Uh, they got transfer waivers from the NCAA. So, Chris, uh, that might change how people view Kentucky's status in terms of 
SEC championship, national championship contender. Yeah, we published Blue Ribbon as though Olivier Saar would be eligible. And we we list starting fives in our top 25 teams or our, our projected starting fives. And we had him in there. Of course, he, he was NCAA eligible before the book came out. And the SEC has a rule that uh, they had to rule him eligible too. And, you know, you, you would think that it would be against their own self-interest not to allow him to be eligible. And sure enough, he, he was uh, in, in uh, typical fashion. I, I've watched an unhealthy amount of tape on <laughs> Olivier Sar and uh, the cat's good. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, I think he was a guy that, that had to kind of grow into his, his skill set and his body. But I watched highlight tapes of, of his junior year at Wake Forest and he's, He's gifted. Uh, he yeah. can put the ball on the floor and score it. Uh, he's got a jump hook with either hand. He shoots from the mid-range facing up. And he's particularly adept, I think, at passing out of double teams, which he's going to get doubled in, in, in the SEC. So uh, I, I think he's a huge addition. I, I think he's the best graduate transfer. They Well, he's not a graduate transfer. He's the best transfer of the Cal era, I think. Mm-hmm. I think he'll be the most impactful transfer of the Cal era. Let's put it that way. As far as Toppin, I, I don't know that they even thought that he could get a waiver or, or even particularly cared at that point. Cause they're so loaded at guard with, right. with guards, but you know, they'll take him and, and see how he fits in. Yeah. I like you, I've watched some uh, video on Olivier Saar and I, I remember seeing him play some here and there for Wake Forest, but, uh, Man, he's got some good footwork. I, they were just showing different, you know, fundamental things that he did really well, and he, he looked pretty impressive to me and uh, could be a, a huge addition to that uh, Kentucky team. From ESPN Plus, Chris, interesting reading about the trend of fewer fouls across all type of types of basketball uh, with the connection to more threes being taken, but the SEC, interestingly enough, seems to be the exception to the rule with the most fouls called in the nation and an increase in free throws. What do you make of this? And how much of this related is related to how coaches decide to defend uh, in the SEC? You know, I think that that latter comment that you made kind of spells it out. I talked to to three or four coaches, or, well, four on this, and the consensus was is that you know Rick Barnes said, "Hey, I'm a physical coach." Frank Martin, John Calipari, Conzo Martin, uh, Ben Howland likes to play two bigs and. They'll pound you. Uh, it's just style of play. And then I, I got some other comments. Andy Kennedy, who used to be in the league, now is the coach at UAB. He, after he left Ole Miss, he, he worked for the SEC Network, so he's still got a good take on this. And mm-hmm. He thinks it's uh, the fact that, uh, you know, the, the, the area that you recruit from, the Deep South, you're getting a lot of good run-jump, long athletes that can attack the rim. Uh, Rick Barnes said that. He he, he said if, if you asked uh, people and, and, and asked them to tell you the truth, they would say that the Big 12 and the SEC are the most physical leagues in the country. And he thought the SEC was as good at attacking the rim hmm. as any league in the country. And if you think about it, uh, again, you're recruiting multi-sport athletes uh, in SEC country, as opposed to, I remember when 
uh, Rick Barnes first took the job at Tennessee after coming from, from Texas and two or three of his assistants told me that they were taken aback by the difference in the, in the, in the players they recruited. Big 12 players typically grew up playing basketball only. Right. And, and had, you know, this innate feel for the game. Whereas SEC level players, you know, basketball might be their third sport. Yeah. My, my football, football might be number one. And, and, you know, you yeah, see a lot track, of basketball players who uh, yeah, track or baseball. I mean, lots of stuff. Baseball. And, and that's right. And, and so they're athletic enough to get on the basketball court and make an impact. And, and I think that defense, not that it isn't stressed everywhere, but defense is stressed in the SEC. I think as much as, as any league, uh, I, I think a lot of it is because they're able to recruit these long, rangy, athletic athletes. They're able to, to pressure you, get out in passing lanes. And I think there's going to be some fouls called there. Um, I think that uh, some people think that maybe the SEC needed a, an upgrade, upgrade in officiating. And, in fact, they changed their – uh, director of officials. It's now Mike Eads. I know you know of him and mm-hmm. you've worked so many games, obviously, that he's been in. And, uh, I think he might retool his, his crew of officials and try to get some more, uh, experienced upper tier t- kind of guys in there. But, uh, you know, I think, you know, in truth, I, I guess I asked Rick Bird, who was on the, the former Belmont coach, who you know oh so well. Yes. Uh, uh, you know, I, I asked, you know, in a perfect world, you would want files to be called, uh, as the, as the rule books suggest they should, but you would not want to see free throw marathons. Sure. So it's, it's a delicate sort of dance that they do as officials and it's difficult. I'm not throwing off on officials by any means. It's tough. There's all these bang, bang plays, but, uh, in a perfect world, you would see uh, freedom of movement uh, enabled and fouls called, but maybe, I don't know, the players might uh, adjust yeah. and, and stop fouling. But as, as some coaches in the SEC suggested, it's a physical league. And so, yeah, that, that might continue it, just because of the – the number of coaches who really stress playing tough and physical defense. Yeah, a few years back, and I believe it was the 2013-14 season, it was along about the time that, that Coach Bird was uh, on the Rules Committee and, and head of the Rules Committee, uh, there were a noticeable number of fouls being called, especially early in the season, when the, the freedom of movement things were emphasized. And, the you know, the, it was placed on various types of contact being whistled. Scoring went up, but a whole lot of it was due to a whole lot of free throws. I mean, those games were, were, like you say, free throw marathons. There's always that fine line, isn't it? You want more scoring. You don't want to see it all at the free throw stripe. They made various adjustments to the shot clock, you know, to not always resetting all the way, you know, now back to 30. Uh, there have been talk of playing quarters in college basketball with the fouls resetting. I know they do that in women's basketball. Men's college basketball is the only one that, that uses halves anymore, you know, at, at any level. So, to me, it's it's a hard balance to achieve. You want more scoring, you want more action, but you also want the game to be officiated the way it's supposed to be officiated, and, and making all that happen and go together can be difficult. That's right. I mean, I think for years, uh, illegal guarding was, was sanctioned. It, it was allowed to happen. 
And under Coach Bird and the committee that, that he chaired, I think, and, and, and taking a page from the NBA, which did the same thing, uh, to open up freedom of movement and, and, and have fewer fouls, uh, you know, uh, with, with the theory that eventually players and coaches yeah. would adjust. And I think nationwide that's happened. But, you know, Rick, Rick Barnes kind of said it best. You know, there's a lot of older coaches, uh, veteran coaches setting their ways and, and, this is the way they teach uh, defense, and I'm not saying they're 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 cheating or anything like that, but it's it's rough. It's, yeah, it's tough. A, it's hard and, for them to, to learn different you know, ways. Yeah. You, if if you're if you're trying to guard a, an opponent uh, that likes to attack the rim, you want to make it known that it's not going to be an easy path to get there. So yeah, it's a delicate dance, like you said, and and I I don't think the the SEC is a league that that has to rely on beating on people and grabbing people. Uh, as we said, there's athleticism aplenty and uh, good shooters, and and every every school has a good postman that you can throw it into and and score on the block. So I don't think that that they have to to do that in terms of of being overly physical. But that's just how. That's how some of them coach, and that's how they'll always coach. Let's preview a couple teams. Uh, this week we will feature, well, I'll call them the 2012ers, Missouri and Texas A&M, the uh, most recent additions to the Southeastern Conference. Start with Mizzou. The uh, Tigers were 15-16 and 16 last year, 7-11 and 11 last season. Conzo Martin, who's known for uh, hard-nosed defense for sure, uh, he has his most experienced team, uh, the most experienced team in the SEC coming back. They have four starters returning. They have their top seven scorers from last season. They have one graduate transfer, four seniors, four juniors, and a sophomore. That's about as experienced as you're going to find in college basketball, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, if you look at their guards, just uh, that's where I start when I assess any team. You've got Drew Smith, a 6'3 senior. He averaged almost 13 points, four boards, almost four assists last year. Uh, Xavier Pinson, who averaged 11 points, uh, Three assists, three boards, a 6'2 junior. So uh, those are experienced cats. And then Mark Smith, the transfer from Illinois, is back. He averaged 10. And they've still got – it seems like he's been around forever, Jeremiah Tillman, yeah. uh, the big kid from East St. Louis that uh, originally had committed to Illinois. And when Conzo got that job at Missouri, he switched his commitment. And, and it stayed, stayed with him for four years. And he's a guy that, I don't know, in, in another era would have been a – a can't miss kind of NBA guy, 6'10, 260. Uh, he only played in six SEC games last year because of a foot injury. So if they get good health from him and, and with those guards they've got, uh, and the way they defend, I, I think that Missouri will be heard from. We picked them farther down the list, but I mean, you got to pick somebody down there. <laughs> uh, it, it's, uh, coach, coach Martin, uh, is is a good guy and a good coach. I, I think he's been a little star-crossed at Mizzou uh, with the injuries to the yeah. Porter brothers. And, and you know, I, I, I think that had the Porter brothers been healthy, uh, his record at Mizzou, uh, which uh, is 50 and 46 over three years, I, I think it would be a lot better. I guess, Chris, the biggest story and question for Missouri is can they find the offense? Numbers in three-point shooting were not good last season, 29%. That was 
326th in the country. They were uh, right around 300 in turnover percentage at almost 21%, and 287th in effective field goal percentage at 47%. So offensive numbers have to get better before they can make a climb in the SEC. Yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, and they've added a, a few people that could help. Uh, uh, Drew Boggs uh, is a grad transfer from, from uh, Hawaii uh, that averaged 10 and five assists, uh, four boards. So he's going to be able to help in a, in a lot of ways. Uh, I think he had the program record in Hawaii and assists in just three years. So another guy that's, that's going to allow uh, people to, to get shots uh, and and then uh, they've got a, a kid from who started his career at, at San Diego State, Ed Chang. He came from Salt Lake City Community College in Utah, and uh, last year he shot it at, at 41% from three. So, you know, there's another guy who is, I think could come in and, and help right away. As for Texas A&M, they went 16 and 14 last year. They were 10 and 8 in the SEC. Buzz Williams goes into his second year with the Aggies after he won SEC Coach of the Year this past season. The team really improved once they got into conference play, and, uh, and Buzz and some of their other coaches said they made some changes toward the end of the non-conference. It served them well, but they have five of their top seven scores back. Chris, another team with some pretty good experience returning. Yeah, and I, I'll, I'll just say this: Buzz Williams is is one of the best coaches around, and, and that's not like this uh, Sherlock Holmes re- revelation here. <laughs> but you look at everywhere he's been under the most challenging uh, of circumstances. I mean, when he took over Virginia Tech and, uh, you know, it it was in disarray. I mean, our friend Seth Greenberg was there, and, and, and you know, I thought he overall did, did a fine job, but you know, anytime there's a coaching change, uh, players light out and transfer other places. And Buzz quickly put that together. And let me tell you something. It's it's not an easy – it's not a quick fix program. Yeah. And Texas A&M, similarly, uh, you know, Billy Kennedy had, had moments there. And then I think after Rick Stansbury left, uh, his top assistant left for the Western Kentucky job, you know, they, they had a little bit of a decline and a change was made. And Buzz Williams had been an assistant at Texas A&M and he's from Texas and he knows Texas kids and he recruits Texas junior colleges. Uh, he was, might've been the best hire of, of last year. Sure. And I, I think he'll continue to do well. Uh, he's got a veteran crew with Savion Flag, Quentin Jackson and JJ Chandler. And then I think they added one of the more intriguing grad transfers, a kid named uh, Kevin Marfo from Quinnipiac. Uh, he averaged 10 uh, points, but more importantly, he led the, the nation uh, with 13.3 boards a game. And, yeah, I've, I've seen people like John Rothstein uh, write that it's very seldom that a grad transfer from a mid-major level who averaged double figures averages double figures at a higher level. Right. Rebounding's a different animal. Rebounding transfers, whether it's from junior high to high school or high school to college or college to the NBA, if you can board, you can board. And this guy, Marfo, uh, he had 10 or more rebounds in 29 of, of uh, Quinnipiac's 30 games, including a, a, a season high of 21. 
he also had another 18 board games. I don't care who you are <laughs> or what league you're playing in. You get 21 boards. That's a good night's work. So I think, uh, you know, again, Buzz Williams is another guy that, uh, insists on defense and there's some physicality and, uh, Kevin Marfo is a guy that I think will really help. And whether, whether he scores in the post or not, he's going to get rebounds. He's going to keep possessions active. Uh, I think it's a great acquisition. Yeah. If you average 13 rebounds per game, you're not having any off games in terms of your board work. And you think about it when you, when you average, say, 13 points a game, you can get those at, you know, two or three points at a time. Rebounds, you get one at a time. And that's, well, I had to read that number two or three times on Kevin Marfo that he averaged uh, 13 boards per game. And I was reading, you know, some of the blue ribbon preview and talking about all his uh, amazing work on the glass. So, yeah, uh, he would seem to be a really nice addition to Texas A&M. But you're, you're yeah. right. You know, during the time they've been in the SEC, when Billy Kennedy was there, they had some big success. I mean, they were top of the league there with uh, with Kentucky, and uh, they were really good there for several years. So we'll see what Buzz Williams does in year two after a pretty nice uh, first trip through SEC play anyway last year when they uh, had a, a 10-8 and record. So Missouri and Texas A&M, the, uh, the teams we preview this week, Chris. And just looking forward to getting it all started, uh, whatever it looks like, whether it's it's conference only. We hope they're non-conference games because I think, uh, like me, you're ready to just watch some hoops here in, in less than a month on the 25th when it gets here. Let's bring it on and play some ball. Yeah, I, you know, I, I've worried about this season since last season ended. Yeah. Because, you know, I'm no doctor, but, uh, when you talk about a, a hundred year pandemic event, uh, you know, it was going to have to take a concerted effort to, to, to get rid of it. And we're still, still, still dealing with it. And sports has been affected. And I, I think people miss their sports. And obviously the NBA proved it could be done. I was hopeful that because it had been done in Orlando that the NCAA could, could, could do some things there too. And all those, as we talked about at the start of the show, ESPN, MTEs, just, you know, they just had to pull the plug and I hope they'll be reconstituted elsewhere. And, and I really, I feel for, I know this is an SEC podcast, but I feel for the mid-major teams uh, like the one that you cover Belmont Uh and, and the one I attended East Tennessee state that are good programs and even in the best of times struggle to get games because nobody wants to play them. And now it's going to be even more difficult because there's going to be a smaller pool of games to be had. And generally you're, I think you're going to see that the teams that can commit to the level of protection and, and testing and safety that it's going to take to play are going to gravitate toward one another and there's going to be less opportunities. But having said that, I think the SEC teams, the, the SEC has handled it right. I think, you know, I, I know Tennessee is from the very beginning, uh, did the antigen testing and, and the regular testing and we're on top of things. And I think that uh, the league is, is going to be able to, uh, at the very least, uh, uh, run through the league schedule with a minimum of interruption, you know, it, it goes back to money. The SEC has reams of it, uh, obviously lost a lot of revenue without, without a full football season and, and, uh, other, 
lost sports, but I think that they've got a cash reserve. They're going to be able to test. They're going to be able to test their officials. They're going to be able to ensure that the, the venues they play are, are safe and secure. And so I think SEC fans can look forward to a, as complete a season as, as could possibly be imagined in such a scenario. Basketball fans can uh, look forward to complete coverage of hoops, too. If you go to blueribbon.substack.com, we'd love to have you on board. Sign up and be part of what we do every single week. You're going to get uh, great things to read, terrific stories about college basketball, uh, not just the Southeastern Conference, but the whole scope of it. You get our podcast every week. Those are free. You get an SEC one every other week, and then Chris and I do a, one of a more national scope, and he's been able to get us just tremendous guests for that thing. So it's it's really a lot of fun. Again, blueribbon.substack.com. It's very affordable, and, of course, uh, Chris and the uh, yearbook will be uh, coming out soon. It's going to be uh, landing on your doorstep before you know it, as uh, Chris told us at the top of the show. So it's, it's exciting. Hopefully some hoops not too far down the road. Chris, always great. Uh, appreciate the time, man. I appreciate you, buddy. He's Chris Dorch. I'm Kevin Ingram. This is the Blue Ribbon SEC Basketball Podcast. We will talk to you next time.